0: Welcome to the Industries in Motion podcast from RBC Capital Markets, where we'll be exploring what's new and what's next in today's fast moving markets and industries to help you stay ahead of the curve. Please listen to the end of this podcast for important disclaimers. My name is Mark Odendahl, and I am head of U.S. Capital Markets Research here at RBC. Let's get into today's episode. I'm happy to introduce our next guest, Ken Herbert. Ken is new to RBC and joined RBC in 2021 as our aerospace and defense analyst. He's not new to the sector, though. He's been on the street for 15 years, and we welcome his industry knowledge and thought leadership to our industrial team. Ken is well known for his coverage of the original equipment manufacturers, the OEMs, as well as the aftermarket side of the aerospace sector. Ken is well known for his 13-year running MRO survey, maintenance, repair, and overall survey, which plays quite a bit into his commercial aftermarket calls in the sector. Ken, thanks for joining us today, and I look forward to going over the aerospace industry with you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Mark. So let's kick it off. Ken, where are we in the aftermarket cycle, the aftermarket recovery, et cetera? If you could address the space from both the OEM side of the business as well as the aftermarket business. Great. Thanks, Mark. Well,
1: as you know, the recovery has been led by domestic travel. We've seen domestic travel globally running up about 90% relative to pre-COVID levels, with international traffic running up about 70% or at 70% of pre-COVID levels. Now, as you know, the recovery has been led by uh, markets here in the United States and in Europe with some puts and takes in the Asia-Pacific region, China in particular. China, remember, back in 2020, led the industry in the recovery, both in flight activity as well as spending on their aircraft as they pulled forward maintenance. But because of various uh, variants of the coronavirus, they've taken a more mixed approach in their in their philosophy and, uh, and regulations towards traffic. So we've seen a bit of a mixed recovery there, but broadly speaking, we're currently running at about 80% of pre-COVID levels.
0: So I don't think we could do a podcast on the aerospace sector without some thoughts around Boeing, the timelines around Boeing, and where we are with Boeing and the 737 MAX, as well as the 787. So where do those programs stand and what are your expectations for deliveries as we look out over the next uh, one to two years?
1: So heading into the, the the COVID crisis, the 737 MAX was grounded. This grounding happened in the first quarter of 2019. So that aircraft was already in a bit of a, a, a tough situation. Deliveries have slowly ramped up with the recertification of the MAX starting in November of 2020. Most recently, the MAX has been recertified in the last major markets, notably China, And then, of course, some of the other markets in Southeast Asia. Deliveries have been slow to recover as the supply chain has been gradually increasing their output and production levels. Boeing currently sits on approximately 350 MAX aircraft in inventory. We expect Boeing to work down its inventory on the MAX this year and through much of next year with an expectation this year that we get about 500 deliveries. Now, the majority of those will come from new production as the supply chain ramps up and ideally hits the 31 a month production rate in the first half of 22 that Boeing has been guiding to. So the 737 while we're still waiting for the official deliveries to resume into China, they have largely recertified the aircraft and things look to be moving in the right direction. The 787 however is a bit of a different story. Boeing has been forced to pause deliveries of that aircraft while they work out issues dealing with some conformance issues in the manufacturing process. And we're still waiting for final FAA approval to resume deliveries of that plane, which is expected by the
0: summer of 2022. So, because of Boeing's issues, how has that impacted market share between Boeing and Airbus? Could you give us a snapshot of current market share? How's that different from historical market shares and any thoughts around that going forward?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So, historically, the industry was roughly 50 50. Now, it was never quite along those lines, but more recently, Airbus has clearly pushed an advantage in the narrow-body marketplace. Airbus's A320 family of aircraft right now are running at about a production rate of, of 45 a month, and the company plans to increase that to 65 a month by the second half of 23. Compare that to the approximate sort of mid-30s a month that Boeing will likely be at for this year. So you're looking at almost a 60-40, maybe even two-thirds, one-third split, on the narrow body deliveries here for the next several years. We recently attended a very significant supplier conference and suppliers' confidence in the production increases out of Airbus remain relatively high with mixed messaging out of Boeing. So I think the narrow body marketplace is structurally advantaged Airbus for the near term. On the wide body side, which is the larger aircraft, Boeing has historically enjoyed an advantage in this marketplace, partially due to its position in the cargo markets. Boeing has dominated the cargo markets for many years. We do expect Boeing's dominance in the cargo market to continue, although Airbus does have a competing product here in the A350. It's important to keep in mind that production output on the wide-body aircraft, which are predominantly used for international travel, are lagging the recovery in narrow-body. The narrow-body marketplace, which is predominantly for domestic travel, is seen as capacity-constrained right now, with airlines looking to bring lift back into these markets which incidentally is a real positive for the aftermarket, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. On the wide-body side, however, as international travel has continued to lag in the recovery, we've seen significantly slower demand for the larger aircraft. And in this marketplace, cargo has clearly been a real benefactor uh, of the crisis, and demand has remained very strong. But we are looking at still a roughly sort of 50-50 split
0: in the wide-body marketplace between Boeing and Airbus, at least for the next several years. How important is that cargo market to the OEMs, and does the acceleration of e-commerce represent a structural shift in the uh, cargo markets?
1: Yeah. So cargo markets do represent about 10% of the active fleet. They tend to be older aircraft, which, again, is, is positive for the aftermarket. And we do believe the, the shift to e-commerce, especially compounded by a lot of the supply chain bottlenecks and constraints you've seen more recently, has favored air cargo markets in particular. And we do think that market is expected to continue to thrive and benefit as hopefully the economies do start to normalize You're seeing a a shift and a lot more confidence in at-home delivery for for goods of all sorts and a greater importance on near-time or shorter delivery cycles. So we do think the shift to cargo does represent a structural shift. It certainly benefits air cargo markets, which, again, is why Airbus is getting into this market in a more aggressive way, and it plays to the historical strength of Boeing.
0: And then just the last point on OEMs and the cycle there. How does the supply chain look today in terms of labor costs, material costs, inflation, bottlenecks, et cetera?
1: Yeah, so we've seen significant pressure on the supply chain as we've seen across industries. I guess one thing I would say is the industry benefits from the fact right now that the production levels are still 50 to 60% of uh, pre-pandemic levels. So we're not seeing the, in an absolute level the type of pull that we would see certainly pre-crisis. Having said that, suppliers are facing significant challenges in hiring. They're facing significant challenges or escalations in raw material costs. Um, good examples would be you know, key inputs to aircraft production are materials like steel, aluminum, titanium, and other metals, which have certainly seen a significant increase in prices. And then, of course, to your point, there's significant bottlenecks from supply chain constraints. I would say the supply chain is relatively confident about their ability to execute the planned rate increases from Boeing and Airbus through this calendar year, but you're hearing a lot of, of pushback from suppliers about the price increases and what it's doing to their cost structure. The outlook in 2023 remains a bit of a wild card just with the uncertainty today. But what I would highlight again is kind point of confidence in the supply chain is Airbus has just come out to its suppliers with a proposed 15% price cut across all of its programs through 2025. And I think this points to their confidence, at least in the near term, and the supply chain's ability to support
0: their uh, planned rate increases. Talk to us about the aftermarket space right now and give us an example of some of the leading players.
1: Yeah, so the aftermarket historically represents the highest margin or most profitable business for a lot of the suppliers in the marketplace. So companies tend to uh, work very hard to get on a Boeing aircraft or an Airbus aircraft because it gets very difficult to get displaced off of that program considering the regulatory and certification requirements. But then, you know, the typical model is that particular uh, product will generate three to five x the revenue stream as it's in operation, as a company is able to sell spare parts and services to the airlines or the lessors over the life of that product or that aircraft. So, a very important slice of the marketplace for suppliers and a big part of the the economic value chain. As we look at this marketplace you know, the OEMs, Airbus and Boeing are certainly big in this marketplace, just considering their position as OEMs. But a number of suppliers, most notably companies like Transdime and Heiko, have a very unique position in this marketplace and and tend to do uh, very well as the aftermarket continues to recover. So the aftermarket saw some of the first recovery as, as air traffic started to come back and airlines started to fly the planes again. Much of 2020 and much of uh, 2021 was about inventory reduction and deferred maintenance as airlines continue to conserve as much cash as possible and we faced a very spotty recovery. But as we look into this year, we're very confident that we'll continue to see upside in the aftermarket relative to expectations as flight activity continues to come back and the airlines continue to now spend to catch up on maintenance and uh, and look to more aggressively bring their fleets back into service.
0: I'm hearing deferred maintenance. I'm hearing lack of retirements. You know we're hearing about Boeing's issues, so less new aircraft in the system. What's that mean for aftermarket growth over the next one to two years and how that how does that compare to historical numbers?
1: Sure, so uh when we look at the aftermarket, I think this year from an m r o standpoint, we're looking at approximately in our most recent survey about twenty percent growth for calendar twenty twenty two It will be the first quarter where we sort of anniversary, the uh, the easier comps again, and the comps get tougher as we go into the rest of the year. The aftermarket results for the publicly traded companies will will exceed the MRO results, largely because of the benefit from pricing, which tends to be a real tailwind. And then to your point, catch up on deferred maintenance and some of the other dynamics. Much of what we heard about throughout the second half of 20, but especially in 2021, was just smaller work scopes than typically what airlines would do. So, in an airline, we have been looking to get a part repair considering the financial pressure they were under. They would do the absolute minimum. Now, they're having to play catch up on a lot of that deferred maintenance. We estimate the deferred maintenance was about a 10 to 15% headwind to aftermarket growth in 2021. So, you've got that going for you. The OEMs and their ability to scale up is limited. So, airlines, as they look to bring lift capacity back, are having to look at some of the older aircraft. A great example is Delta's just indicated that their 717 aircraft will, in fact, be coming back into service. Now, these are 30-plus-year-old aircraft that uh, a year ago they'd announced they would very likely be retiring, but because of the demand right now, they are pulling these aircraft back into service, which is very good for the aftermarket. Retirements, if you go back to the beginning of the pandemic, we all assumed they would be up significantly as airlines looked at, at bringing significant capacity out of the marketplace. Well, retirements have been very low relative to expectations for a number of reasons. But as we look forward, we're not expecting a a significant surge in retirements. One of the wild cards, of course, could be fuel costs as it maybe pushes airlines to look to bring uh, the less efficient capacity out of the marketplace. But the reality is there's capacity constraints. And as we continue to see the recovery in domestic travel there's growing scarcity around the smaller narrow-body aircraft, which is leading to fewer retirements, which is leading to an incremental positive for the aftermarket. Because again, it's these older aircraft that tend to be much more important when you think about aftermarket spending.
0: So Ken, if you put that all in a blender, sounds pretty constructive for growth rates in the aftermarket over the next one to two years. What are you hearing from investors in the aftermarket space right now in terms of their views?
1: We think sentiment right now is for aftermarket growth of about, call it 25 to 30% this year. We think the setup could push growth rate higher than that. Historically, the aftermarket grew at sort of 1.5x traffic growth. And if you think of traffic growth over the last 50 years in aggregate growing about 5% a year, air passenger traffic growth, aftermarket was a mid to high single-digit growth marketplace. We think moving forward structurally, we could see at least through 23 double-digit growth even as the industry continues to recover for a lot of the reasons we talked about. But but we are structurally in a situation where the airlines will be restocking material as we go through this year, addressing deferred maintenance, uh, continuing to spend on the older aircraft, and the capacity constraint from the OEMs is not likely to alleviate anytime soon. So we do think we're in a prolonged period of, of better than the historical model of one and a half passenger growth for the aftermarket, at least through 2023.
0: Also, if I could talk about some of your checks with recent industry meetings, there's been different camps forming around alternative fuels for commercial aerospace. Could you talk to us about those?
1: Yeah, of course. So the commercial aerospace industry represents about 2.5% of global carbon emissions. So on an absolute level, that might not seem like a lot, but it certainly is an issue that the industry is grappling with. And I think the industry is trying to be very proactive on looking for ways it can reduce its carbon footprint significantly. So, as you know, there's a number of ways to, to address this. Airbus has been leaning significantly out in front on the use of hydrogen as they look at alternative fuel sources that can burn cleaner and that can be a way to help uh, reduce emissions. Boeing, for instance, has recently made a significant investment in what they call sustainable aviation fuel or SAF. Most engines in operation today can operate on SAF. The real issue there is um is the supply of staff. And it's, it clearly is not where it needs to be to meet demand for the sector. There's a lot happening with investments around electrification and battery technology. And I think you're going to see over the next several years, a lot of smaller aircraft incorporate battery technology as a primary source of propulsion. So, there's a significant amount of investment happening. We think this investment will naturally increase substantially. It's been led by some of the companies out of Europe where where ESG and environmental issues have been a bigger issue for the aerospace industry, but certainly here in the United States, it's catching up, and this will be something to watch very closely over the next several years.
0: And then if I could just pivot a little bit, you contributed to the Department Imagine report that we published at the end of 2021. In that report, Preparing for Hyperdrive, you discussed the outer space market. How could that develop in the coming 5 to 10 years for the sector?
1: So it's a great question. We've certainly seen significant investor interest in space increase as there have been a a range of companies now uh, that are publicly available in this marketplace. There's two fundamental drivers. The first is access to space. The cost to access space has come down significantly. And this has been led by SpaceX, but more broadly, the ability to reuse rockets, and that has significantly opened up a lot of markets as the cost to put satellites and other hardware up into space has come down significantly. Second, the capacity of those satellites is very similar to the computing capacity on any other device like your phone. The amount of weight and mass and computing capacity you need to launch to achieve certain objectives has continued to move aggressively down the curb. So you put those together And it's opening up a range of commercial markets that previously were were very dormant. Historically, space markets were prominently government markets, both civil and national security. We're seeing a very significant commercial market slowly start to emerge. Now, this, of course, involves areas around Earth observation, when you think about predictability for weather, weather systems, when you think about just other observation opportunities. And then, of course, there's the whole communications marketplace, which is opening up. Starlink is perhaps one of the best examples, which is SpaceX's satellite-based communications infrastructure. And so this is expected to see significant growth. And there's a number of companies pushing up into this area. So while it's a very relatively niche and small market today, when you think about exposure for the companies we cover, it does represent significant growth, both on the government and the commercial side. And we expect that to continue. Now, obviously, space is notorious for being a very long-cycle business still entails significant risk There were, we're maybe a little more cautious on markets around space tourism. But when you think about infrastructure in space, communications, navigation, earth observation, some of these core markets, I think the uh, the demand is going to grow significantly over the next several years. As a great example, you know the International Space Station is expected to effectively uh, end its useful life in the next five to seven years. NASA's led a number of contracts to private companies to effectively replace that. And then there are a number of companies looking just independently to launch their own space stations as the cost of accessing space continues to come down. There's a lot happening in this marketplace. Not every company is going to survive, but a lot of very interesting things happening.
0: Ken, that's excellent. This has been a great discussion today. I think it illustrates your industry knowledge, your in-depth industry knowledge. And we really appreciate your thought leadership in the aerospace sector. Thank you very much for your time today. Yeah, thanks, Mark. It's been a real pleasure what else lies ahead in today's ever-evolving markets and industries we'll be keeping track right here on industries in motion until then thank you for joining us on this episode recorded february 22nd 2022 be sure to subscribe to industries in motion wherever you listen to your podcast if you'd like to continue this conversation or are interested in more information please contact your RBC representative directly or visit our website at www.rbccm.com backslash industries in motion for further insights. Thank you very much. This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation and no recommendations are implied. It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives.